Uh, as we come to the text, I invite you to consider, consider Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Please follow with me as I read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What an aim to not grow weary and to not lose heart. Many of us maybe considered ourselves resilient people back in 2019. I think it's fair to say that resilience has been tested over the last two years. It's so great to be gathered with you in person this morning. It's so great to be gathered in song. And I'll tell you, that's not something I think I'll ever take for granted again. And I hope you don't take it for granted either. As we come to God's word this morning, we are in the midst of a, a series through the book of Hebrews called Seeing Jesus. And this letter or this address to, to the group of believers known as the letter to the Hebrews, it's written to people who are thinking about giving up. And so this morning, the title of our message is Running After Jesus. But I'd like to, I'd like to begin... I'd like to begin as we, we, before we consider running after Jesus with a, a little bit of a recap. Last week, if you were here with us, you would have seen that great uh, testimony in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 40, where it talks about all the things that people have done through faith, all the things they've endured. And we see that faith finds value in eternity. More, more specifically, faith is willing to trade earth for heaven. Faith says God is better than what I can get here on earth. And this might seem like something that is nice or simply what you would expect a religious person to say, but things all change on Easter. A little bit of an Easter fact for you. Did you know that when Jesus rose, the disciples ran? Our text this morning talks about running, and I encourage you if, you, if you want to have a little interesting study project during the week, you can go through the New Testament or go into Google if you want, and just try to Google places where running appears in the New Testament. It's fascinating where running appears in the New Testament. It appears, first of all, in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 5, when there's a dead man who's, not a dead man, a man who's spiritually dead, but a man who's living in the tombs, he's basically dead. He's demon-possessed. He's possessed by legion. And when he sees Jesus, he runs to him. Another instance of running in the New Testament is when the father of the prodigal son sees his son a long way off, and the father runs to greet his son. But the most concentrated instance of running in the New Testament all occurs around this day, Easter Sunday. You see, the women finding Jesus not there and being told and instructed by the angels, they ran and told the disciples, who in turn ran back to the tomb. We're told that Peter and John had a little bit of a foot race. They ran to the tomb. John got there first, but Peter went the distance. <laughs> he went all the way in. <laughs> John stood and stopped and peered 
When Jesus rose, the disciples ran. What makes you run? Running is described as the effort exerted to move yourself forward. The exertion of your whole body to propel yourself in a forward direction. What moves you in a forward direction? Our big idea this morning is that pardon me, is that Jesus rose so that we could run to God. Jesus rose so that we could run to God. You could say so that we could live for God, so that we could be with God. But if you, again, keep looking through the New Testament at those instances of running, you'll see there is a predominant number of instances where the Christian life is viewed itself as a race. Paul would say of his own life, he'd say, I'm not like someone who runs aimlessly. He would then instruct believers to run in such a way as to get the prize. When he came to the end of his life, he said, I've finished the course. Go through the New Testament. You'll see that the Christian life is likened less to an existential state, some sort of, sort of spiritual transcendence or trance that you live in. It's likened to a race. It's one of the most common metaphors. So it is fitting to say that Jesus rose so that we could run to God. Now, I want to ask you the big question this morning. Where is your finish line? We all got a finish line. By that, I mean, when do you feel like you have made it? I'm talking about when is your life going to get to the place where you feel like, yes, I've arrived, I've achieved, I've attained, I am victorious, I am accomplished, I have secured the prize. Where's your finish line? There's a real hard finish line to cross in Sydney. It's called owning a house. I'm sorry, I can't laugh with you at that. I don't think it's funny. Housing prices rose over wages 10 to 1 in the last 18 months. For many people, that's the finish line. When you can own a house. Now, no judgment on people who who own a home. Fantastic. Nothing wrong with owning a home. It's wisdom. But how many of us see that as a finish line? What's another finish line? Come on, give me a finish line. Somebody, let's go. Interactive experience. Retirement, there we go. Yep, what else? Graduating uni. Come on, give me another one. Another finish line. Married, married, another one. Death, oh. I like it. When I was in seminary, when I was in seminary, they told us, do more funerals than weddings because it's closer than reality. It's closer to reality. Not everyone gets married. Everyone does die. So I hear that. Death. Okay? Any other finish lines we want to throw into the mix? What? When you meet God. I like that. He's already heard the sermon. You can go to sleep now, Dennis. (laughs) Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Right? Where is your finish line? Everybody's got a finish line. Everyone's got a finish line. You know you've crossed your finish line when you relax, when you can slump back in your chair, when you can throttle back on life. That's how you know you've hit your finish line. 
But the consistent message through the scriptures is that our finish line is meeting God, is arriving at his throne, and that's what the resurrection is all about. But I want you to be thinking, what is it going to mean for me to meet God, to run to him? Now, a bit of an overview. The resurrection of Jesus, I'm going to submit to you this morning, the resurrection of Jesus marks an indelible line in human history. That means it's a line you can't erase. You, you, you just... As much try as you might, you can be a resurrection denier. This is what the red balloon's all about, right? It's an indelible mark. You can't erase that line in human history. But for the Christian, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also a finish line because it marks our destiny, resurrection life. It has begun now, but it will be complete when we're in the presence of God. And it's a line, a finish line that we pursue with purpose, with focus, and with endurance. The Christian is someone who finds themselves in a race. Now, if you look at the context of this passage, Hebrews is addressing Christians who are being pressured and tempted to give up faith for a comfortable life. That's an important distinction. There's a lot of people who get pressured to give up their faith, oftentimes in pressure of of survival, But here, in in this letter, the the sense is that it's just going to be more difficult and more uncomfortable to be a Christian. And so through the book of Hebrews, we've seen up to this point that, that they've been given much. He also goes on to warn them what they will risk losing. But here in chapter 11 and chapter 12, the focus is on why they should keep going, why they should persevere. And chapter 11 stands as one of the most memorable parts of Scripture because in chapter 11, it highlights the virtue and the value of faith. And we see that faith is what's going to enable us to finish the race. My outline this morning is that we're going to see how the risen Jesus provides three things that we need to finish our race. Specifically, Jesus gives us purpose. He tells us why we run. Secondly, Jesus gives us focus. He tells us where we run. And thirdly, Jesus gives us endurance. He shows us how to run, enabling us to do that. With that, let's pray. I'm going to ask God to bless our time in the scriptures this morning. Father, would you take your word and would you speak to our hearts? Lord, it's, it's a work that only you can do. Lord, we thank you for the truth that Christ is risen, and I pray that would be heard plainly this morning. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who enables and empowers and strengthens us, Lord, to comprehend these spiritual truths, and also works in us to change us and transform us into people who love you and want to be like you and want to run for you. So, Father, would you bless us today? In Jesus' name, amen. First, purpose. Jesus gives us purpose. In a, in a great contest, surrounded by witnesses, why we run is to find life in Jesus. We run to find life in him. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. After this great celebration of faith and everything that faith does, the, the, 
the foremost appeal, the, the, the climax of what this speaker, what this writer is trying to communicate to the church of God is to run your race with endurance. Run your race with perseverance. What he's doing here is he's shifting their perspective. He's reorienting their minds and he's trying to tell them, you are not on a cruise ship. You're not simply on a conveyor belt being dragged into heaven. You are in a race. You're in a contest. Specifically, it's a contest that's been marked out for you. And so as we consider our purpose, the first thing we need to do is we need to reject the myth of self-determinism. You see, the world picks up on this race analogy. They say, run your race. Run your race, brother. Run your race. You know, you do you, right? YOLO, okay? You, wanna, you want the finish line to be over there? Great. You just, you know, you veer off over there. That's great. Oh, you want to you wanna run in circles? Good for you. Clap. Way to go. Run in circles, you know? If that's what floats your boat. Run your race is language that the world has accommodated. But the Bible doesn't say run simply your race. It's run the race marked out for you. You see the difference? You see, the Christian is finding themselves in the midst of a contest. And they're called to proceed on a course. But unlike, you know, maybe the 100-meter dash or unlike... You know, a lot of individual races, faith in the scriptures is more, it's more like a relay than it is a personal foray. A relay race is such that there's people who've run before you. And there often will be people who run after you. Now, every metaphor breaks down, and, and the metaphor of a relay race isn't exactly right, but I want you to just get a picture of 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 what this might have looked like. If Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter, if he's the one who initiated the race, he charted the course and he's run the course, effectively, he has ran the course so fast that you don't have to ever be worried about being caught from behind. He has completed his leg of the race to such a degree that all you simply need to do is to finish You just need to finish. You just need to cross the line. Running after Christ is not exactly simply a spiritual quest. Yes, there's a time to come and see Jesus. There's a time to to investigate and understand these things, to to, to hear the reports and and, and to to listen to, you know, an Andrew who says, hey, look, I found the Messiah. Come and see and check it out. There's a time to do that. But the race of your faith is not simply an investigation. It's not simply a quest. You see, if, if, if we begin thinking our race, our running after Christ is simply a, a quest to satisfy our own knowledge or to satisfy our own spiritual yearning, then what happens is once you feel like you've understood or you've learned, you stop. You don't run anymore. The goal is clearly completion and it's, it's, it's not competition. That's where the metaphor breaks down. The good news is we're all invited to grab the baton and to walk across the finish line. 
irrespective of your social standing, your class, your race, gender, history, any of that. You can all cross the line. You're all invited. He has run the race that well. You won't be caught. But the scripture here exhorts us to adjust our perspective and to pursue Christ with a purpose. To have a sense that his destiny is compelling my destiny. And here we see that our priority is really going to reveal our sense of purpose. I engaged uh, earlier last year, earlier this year in in a new course of study, and from time to time, people come and ask me, and they say, oh, how's that new course of study going for you? And I say, oh, yeah, it's going okay. Yeah, yeah, it's going all right. In reality, it's had to get put to the bottom of the priority list. So I can tell people, I can walk around and say, you know what, I am, I'm doing this course of study. You know, isn't that great? This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm pursuing. Isn't that fantastic? And people might say, oh, that's really wonderful. That's really wonderful you're doing that. But, but my priority, and this is not a, it's not a complaint. It's just the fact. The fact is, if you look at the way my life is prioritized, it's not my highest priority. There's other things that are more important. So saying that, that I'm a Christian and saying that I'm a disciple, saying that I'm following Jesus is one thing, but ultimately your sense of purpose in that, my sense of purpose in that is going to be revealed in my priority. And specifically, there's two things that are mentioned in verse one that are mentioned as things that will limit us. One is very generic. It's, it's a wait. If I said, hey guys, guess what? At the end of this service, we're all gonna do three laps around the parking lot. All right? And I said, this is a race for your life. You, you don't need to come first, but you just need to do three laps around the parking lot, and you just need to make sure you complete that third lap. I don't care how long it takes, just make sure you finish the lap. And you knew I had the power to control your destiny, and I could, I could determine everything based on whether you finish that third lap or not. Would you, who are wearing heels today, walk on out to the car park and say, hmm, I'm going to run with these heels. I would not run with his jacket. No, the race is about to start. You know what we'd do? We'd tighten our shoes. We'd limber up. We'd take off any extraneous weights, right? Because the purpose is we got to cross that line. And people might look at you and say, oh, but you look so nice in your heels today. You look so nice in your coat, you know, and, and all that jewelry. That was, so, that was so lovely. Why would you take that off? You say, I take it off because I got to get that third lap in. And I don't want to trip in my heels, I don't want to. I don't want to overheat in my coat. And the first thing I'm losing is the necktie. You see, your sense of purpose is revealed by what you prioritize and what you do. You and I will reveal how seriously we are taking this this understanding that we are to run the race marked out for us by how we align our priorities. Just look at an athlete. If I told you, oh, here's a gentleman and this person, you know, he spends, 
five hours a day in the gym. Five hours a day in the gym. He then goes and he studies this sport and that sport. And you say, well, you've got a pretty lazy life. Don't they have to go work, get a job? That's really convenient. What about doing something constructive for other people? And then I told you, well, actually, this is, you know, this is Usain Bolt. <laughs> and you say, oh, 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 yeah, take all the time you need, Usain, right? You're the world's fastest man. Go for it. You're in a race. You've got a race to train for. One of the biggest hindrances we do as brothers and sisters is to put pressure on each other to look like the world instead of encouraging each other to run the race. When we judge each other for our failure to look like the, what the world values, when we do that, we are, we're actually saying, no, you need to put that weight on you. Now, the other thing that's mentioned here is sin. Sin is, is given generically here. It's, it's not a particular sin in mind. It's really any sin in mind. And a simple definition of sin is anything that is contrary to the will of God. You can sin in a number of areas. You can sin with your body, with your hands. You can sin with your mind. You can sin in your affections. But the picture is to try to run after Jesus while also living in sin is like running a race by tying your shoes together. You will not get very far and you will trip and you will stumble. And for some of you, I have just made sense of your entire Christian journey. Because you began running your race with Jesus. And you veered into sin. And you're stuck in sin. And you're saying, this race is too hard. It is a hard race. But it's easier if you untie your shoes. It's easier if you get out of sin. It's easier if you submit to the will of God. Then you'll find the yoke of Jesus easy and his burden light. But Jesus here gives us purpose because when he rose from the grave, he opened paradise and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The, the work is finished. It's done. Now, back in those days, when you ran a race, they were in, uh, they were in a, a, a gymnasium, not, not what we would think is a gym, but we were, they were in like an amphitheater type thing. And the race course was off in sand. And whoever was the highest ranking government official or the, the, the most you know, prestigious person there, they would sit at the end of the race course. And so they would run to that person. Jesus is sitting at the head of our race course. And he's sitting there triumphant, victorious. With him is eternal life. With him is glory. With him is abundant blessing. And the Bible says, why would you not want to cross that line? He gives us purpose. The second thing Jesus gives us is focus. And, and we see here, he shows us where we run. See, to stay on course, our eyes must be fixed upon Jesus, the founder and the finisher 
of faith. Our, the simple principle is your feet will follow where your eyes are. Your feet will follow where your eyes are. If your eyes are looking in the distance and you say, I'm going to walk across the street and I'm going to take a seat on that bench at the other side of the car park. If I keep my eyes on that and the way is clear, I will get there. But if I walk with my head down, I won't know where I'm going. It's a simple point, but we are called to run after Jesus with our eyes upon him. And so I ask you, what do you see when you see Jesus? You say, I haven't seen him, pastor. Yes, I know you haven't seen him physically. But faith gives us the ability to see Christ for who he is. And I venture if you saw him, you would see a pioneer. You would see someone who did something that had never been done before. You would see someone who actually overcame death and who actually opened the way back to God. You say, I never even thought of what it would be like to be in relationship with God. Yes. (laughs) It's because people apart from Jesus don't have a relationship with God. They see the world around them and they may see evidence of God, but there's nothing like actually being in fellowship or communion with him. Jesus opened that way for us. He pioneered that path. If you looked at Jesus, you would also see the perfecter. You would see someone who has completed the journey. Not only did he open the way, but he went all the way. He was obedient to death. He took his seat at the right hand of God. Verse 2 calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. First of all, you need to realize that when Jesus endured the cross, he was not enduring it as a tragic figure. He was enduring the cross as a son who was submitting to the Father's will. He understood, even though it wasn't pleasant, even though he asked God if there's another way, when push came to shove and there was only one way, Jesus said, I will do it. I will finish this course so that they can know the joy of knowing my God. So that you and I could be brought back into relationship. Jesus saw joy in the presence of God and that's what enabled him to endure the suffering. And when we look to Jesus, we will see joy in the presence of God that will enable us to endure what we have to follow. Notice, he didn't simply endure the cross, but he scorned its shame. This is a very interesting phrase. When the Bible says Jesus scorned the shame of of the cross, it's saying he counted the shame of the cross as of little value. What's the worst shame you could ever imagine for yourself? What's the worst thing somebody could say to you? What's the worst thing somebody could do to you? What's the thing that would be so shameful that you would, it would make you walk away and never, ever want to show your face with a group of people again? A shame so horrendous that it would cause you to separate from family and friends and want to create a whole new identity. The cross was shameful. It was so shameful that the Romans didn't even allow their own citizens to, their own criminals to receive that punishment. They said, 
you break the law, but you're a Roman citizen, you do something that's terrible, you do a crime that's horrible, and you're a Roman citizen, we won't crucify you. That's too far. To be crucified was to be subhuman. It, it, it was to be counted as worthless. And then when he's on the cross, what are the people doing? They're mocking him. Oh, if you're the son of God, come on down. You said you're the king? He's been beaten by guards. He's had thorns placed on his head. He's been stripped. He's hanging there naked. He asks for a drink and they give him vinegar. He's being insulted. He's already been whipped. He's already had to carry the instrument of his own torture up a hill. He's had to spread himself and be hoisted up so that everyone can see. I don't know if there's a more shameful thing, maybe someone's thought of it, but there's few things that would be more shameful from a human experience than to be crucified. Jesus looked at that and he said, this is shameful, here's the joy. It's not even worth it. It's not even worth comparing. The joy is so great. He, he disregarded the shame. Let him mock me. Let him, let him laugh. Let him joke. Let him get me wrong. Let, let him hurl abuse at me. Let him see me exposed. It doesn't matter. This is what my father has called me to do. And now he has sat down at the right hand of God. You see, when the women went that morning to the tomb to anoint his body for burial, they were trying to show him proper respect. They were trying to show their love and devotion to Jesus by, by making his body, even in death, have some sort of, of the fragrance of life. But God had better plans. God said, you don't need to beautify this dead corpse he says, I will restore life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus breathed again. And according to the will of God, life came back. And in bodily form, he walked out of the tomb, now changed, now glorified. And then he showed himself to his followers. He showed himself to his disciples. He appeared among them and he said, peace. Don't be afraid. He restored the failures of people like Peter. And then, after a few weeks, he did the unthinkable. A resurrected human being ascended into heaven. God saying, the way is now open. And if you could see Jesus with your eyes, which you can't because you would be utterly destroyed if you saw him with your own physical eyes right now. But if you could see Jesus where he is with your eyes right now, you would see him completely content, seated at the right hand of God. Why? Because the work is done. He, is, he has won forgiveness and salvation for us. And now he is resting. And now he's receiving the promise of his father that he would be a king priest forever. And right now we're in the consolidation phase where all the enemies of God are being sorted out and gathered together and placed under the feet of Jesus who will never be shamed again.
That is where you're running. You are running to the throne of God. You are running to the place of grace. You are running into heaven's doors itself to take your seat at the table, to be a part of the great celebration and the banquet feast. Let that glory capture your gaze. Finally, if we're going to finish the race, we don't only need to run with purpose. We don't only need to run with focus. We need to run with endurance. And so to keep our souls from growing weary with discouragement, we must keep considering Jesus. Read with me verse 3. Consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now when we read this first up and we say, consider him who endured such opposition, we, I don't know about you, but, but I often think, I need to think about all the bad stuff Jesus went through. And it reads like, think about all the bad things that Jesus went through so that when you go through bad things, you'll know it'll be okay. It can read like that. But actually, it's more specific because we're called to consider a person, not just the pain that he suffered. When the writer says to consider Jesus so that your heart doesn't give out, so that your soul doesn't give out, he's not saying think about how horrible the cross was only. He's saying, think about the person of Christ. Think about him. Think of him. We see this in movies all the time. We watch movies where the great conflict has erupted. There's a great challenge, and whether it's the soldier who, who in, in, in a brief few moments before the final battle pulls out a photo of his loved one and looks at her He's thinking of her, and he puts it back. He says, this is why I'm going to do it. We see this all the time. You think about those that you love. God understands that weary hearts will give out before tired legs. If your heart grows weary, you will give up the race before your body does. And so... Jesus is presented to us as our point of reference, yes, but also as our place of refuge. The word for considering is, is similar in idea to, to our word for analyzing or analogizing. <laughs> to look at one thing and to compare it. It's language of comparison, but not just comparison, but comparison with reasoning. And so when we think of Jesus, what do, we, what do we think about? What do you think about when you think of Jesus? When you consider Jesus, is he your friend? Is he your redeemer? Is he your example? Is he your joy? Is he your glory? Is he your Lord? As Thomas would say, my God. Consider him. You see, when you look to Jesus and when you consider him, you can endure because you're not simply trying to, to win a trinket. You see, on the other end of that finish line is the lover of your soul. On the other end of that finish line is the one who made you the one who formed you, the one who has seen every intricate 
every minute detail of your existence. He has seen it and he knows it and he loved you. He loved you to the point of his own death. He is across the finish line. See, we're not saying run after heaven just so you can live forever as, as much as that is glorious. It is wonderful to live forever. We were not made to die. We were made for life. And it's wonderful to say, I want to go to heaven so I can live forever. But if there's no sense that I want to go to heaven because Jesus is there, can I tell you, you're missing it. Heaven is great. Not simply because it's eternal. Heaven is great because Jesus is the king of heaven. He's our point of reference. We consider him. He helps me to understand. He helps me to reason through the trials that I have. But when I am faint and when I am weary and when I want to give up, he still speaks to me. Because his spirit is in me. And when I feel like I don't know if I can keep going because I can't see the other side of the hill, because I, I feel like I've taken too many blows, because I feel like I'm just weary and worn out, he whispers, he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, Jesus is there. That's why we run. That's how we endure. You're not going to finish a race unless you run with purpose, with focus, and with endurance. As we finish off, I just want you to remember Jesus rose from the dead so you could gain the prize, not just enter the race. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so you could sit in a pew on Sunday so that you would have something to do on this day so that your life would be more interesting. He rose so that you could gain eternal life. That's why that you could be forgiven and know God again. If we're running the race, we need to study the course. We also need to cherish the prize. I encourage you, it's so easy to accumulate in our society, but maybe it's time for us to stop accumulating and it's time for us to start culling. If you're running after Jesus, what are you, what's holding you back? What extra weight are you carrying? Thirdly, if our goals are not shaping our habits, then we're lying about our goals. <laughs> I can tell you, I want to become the strongest man. That might be a legitimate desire I have. But if I never train, is that really my goal? Our goals, if they're not shaping our habits then we're lying about them. And finally, as we invite the worship team to come back up, I just want you to remember, at a certain point, you need to block out the critics. You need to tune out the world and listen to the cloud. I'm not talking about Spotify or, or you know, Apple Music, whatever your, you know, whatever your streaming service is. Listen to the cloud of witnesses. Listen to the people who have gone before. Think about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Rahab and David and Samuel and, and think about the great figures from 
church history who have stood with Christ at such great cost. The picture is they are watching. They are cheering. And they also are a reminder to us that God values our faith, that we continue in him. Their opinion counts a whole lot more than what you might read in a magazine or in an Instagram feed or fill in the blank. Block out the critics so you can listen to the cloud. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks that Jesus has risen and that paradise is now open. Help us to go after him with a whole heart. In your name we pray.